sometimes these institutions and these pastors and these churches will lift themselves up and elevate them so much, elevate themselves up so much that like you sort of start to confuse the lines of where the church is and where God is. And so if you go against the church, you feel like you're going against God. Welcome to the Babel Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Hi, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Babble Podcast. I have with me again, my friend, Mason Stolly. Um, we had such a great conversation the first time around, and obviously there's so much more to unpack from his experience and um, kind of what that speaks to in regards to the queer experience growing up in the Southern Christian church. So we're going to dive deeper into that today, and I'm really, really excited about it. So Mason, welcome back. Hello. Hello. <laughs> 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 so like I said I was just we had so much to talk about last time that we kind of had to I mean I always have to cut these conversations short I feel like I could talk to so many people for hours and hours on end but your story is obviously particularly um particularly interesting and intriguing because you have the queer experience along with the Christian faith that I think is so much it's so much more prominent of an issue than people want to talk about. And I'm really glad that you're using your voice to talk about that. So starting off, we, if you have, first of all, for those of you who are listening, if you haven't listened to the first episode with Mason, go back and listen to that and then come back to this one so that you can get a little bit of the context of Mason's story, but cliff notes, Mason um, was called to ministry uh, early on in high school and really wanted to go to the Hillsong college in Sydney. Um, and go through their program to be a leader in the church. And they kicked him out the first week because they realized that he was uh, queer and part of the queer community. So that is his story, but there are so many other parts of his story um, that we didn't even get a chance to speak to. So we're going to talk about that today. Mason, can you talk about a little bit more, like, let's just start with some like the other churches that you experienced when you were trying to find a place that you could be in ministry um, and be yourself. What was that? Like, tell us that story or start with the first place. Um, yeah. So I, um, uh, this, when you ask Christian kids at summer camp, uh, like what their testimony is, a lot of you hear a very similar kind of story is like they'll always say like i grew up in a christian home i was uh, both of my parents are christian or whatever and and for me about half of that was true um my dad was raised catholic um and he's not really practicing anymore uh, my mom was raised episcopalian and she uh she is still a believer she still uh she teaches at a christian private school actually she mm. teaches at stonebriar preschool that's um, right. <laughs> so she um uh so I grew up mostly being raised Episcopalian because my mom was the one that took me to church. Um and so we went to a couple of Episcopal churches. Um and my mom says that when I was a kid, she could tell that I was different. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't I don't know exactly how these things connected because I was too young at the time. But um, there was a moment when we were going to a specific Episcopalian church mm -hmm. that they decided to change denominations. So they changed from Episcopalian to Anglican. Um, okay. 
And around that same time was when the Episcopal Church ordained their first openly gay bishop. Mm. And so I don't know if I don't know if if that church changing denominations was connected to that. But that was the moment that we left that church and we found a different Episcopal Church. Um, And so if if that if those two things are connected and if we change churches because of that, then it was sort of an act of my mom trying to protect me and my mm. future because she knew that like, maybe this was going to be an issue for me later on. Mm. Um, so, but at, again, at the time I was too young to understand all of the things that was going on with that. Right. Um, so I just kind of, she took me to this new church and that was that. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout this, this whole time also, I was going to a summer camp uh, in Oklahoma that I I was really good friends with um, the kids of one of like the main directors of of that camp. And so we sort of, it, it was in Oklahoma, so it was kind of far away. That was our connection to it. Um, and so I grew up every summer. That was like my favorite part of the year was going to this camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my my issues with churches didn't really start until right around after high school, probably, mm. um, or like, like at the very end of it, um, which is, you know, when I, when I sort of came out, when I was, um, starting to live more openly with like my LGBT identity. Mm. Um, and so this, I'll, I'll go chronologically, but this is probably one of the more damaging experiences for me. This, this one really hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, went to this camp for, I'd been going there for almost 10 years at this point. Um, and my last year at that camp, I don't know how they found out. Um, but somebody told the, like the higher ups that I was gay, um, at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was a, I was a counselor in training. Um, I was trained to be a worship leader. So going through their whole like leadership development thing, because like, in the middle of high school, you, you, you transition out of being just like a regular camper and you go into more of this like deeper, uh, like leadership training. And so I was in, I was in the last year of that, the next year I would have been on paid staff, which I had been looking forward to like my whole time being there. Like that's, that's the goal. Um, and so I was, I was supposed to be there for a month. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think this was like, maybe the beginning of the second week, uh, I was at breakfast. I got my food. Um, I sat down and my leader came up to me and she said, Hey, we got to talk to you. Come with me to the office. And so like at this camp, you don't have your phone with you. You're not allowed to like contact anything outside. So my initial thought was like, Oh, something like really awful happened Mm. that like they have to pull me out of breakfast and like have a meeting with me. (laughs) So like, I'm freaking out on the way, like, and, and what, what the issue was, was not even on my mind. I was like worried about like people's safety, uh, back home. And so we go into the office, um, and I was the last one to walk into the office. It was my direct leader. And then two of the like head camp directors, um, I was the last one to walk into the office and the camp director told me to close the door. And I was like, okay, this is, this is getting really serious. Mm-hmm. So close the door. And um, we all sit down and the main director looks at me and he goes, so we have been made aware that you are struggling with same-sex attraction. And because this was my very first experience with this, I didn't really know how to respond. And yeah. I probably didn't respond in the way that they were expecting me to or wanted to, wanted oh, me to. Man. Uh, so I just said, I, I, it's kind of funny, but I just said, no, I'm not struggling with it. I know I'm gay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a great response. <laughs> and they were like, um, okay, well, that's not really the greatest. And, and so we kind of had just this like really awkward conversation yeah. And I didn't realize how serious it was because also like I, I've known these people, like they have known me 
since mm-hmm. I was a child. I grew up with them. I'm very comfortable with all of them. I trust them. Uh, I thought that this was a safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it started to turn into a very serious conversation where they were like, okay, well, we as a camp and as a religion, you, you ought to know this. We don't, we're not accepting of of gay people. We're not affirming of of that kind of lifestyle. And that's the word that they kept using. That's the word that, you know, Christian circles like to use is that it's a lifestyle as if it's a choice, (laughs) which we all know now that it's definitely not, you don't, you don't choose something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, at first, before they were trying to like minister to me, they were like, we don't know what to do with you. Like they considered sending me home halfway through the program that my family has paid money for. <laughs> yeah. That's they not gonna go they considered, well. yeah, they considered sending me home. And so um, the main director was like, he, at the end of the conversation, he said, give me a day. I'm going to pray about it and we'll have another meeting tomorrow morning. So I didn't know what to do. I started freaking out and I mm-hmm. couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody because it was sort of like the same, the same kind of situation that I, that I talked about last time where like, I don't know what else I can lose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know who I can trust anymore because clearly I can't trust them. Right. Um, and so uh, I think the, the two options that they were considering at, at the beginning was either they're going to send me home mm-hmm. or um, they're going to take me out of my platform. So I was, training to be a worship leader, I was on stage. I wasn't directly, like, I wasn't a like a cabin counselor. I wasn't directly mm-hmm. around children, really. I wasn't responsible for anybody. Um, sure. But they didn't know how, like, how the parents would respond. Like, if they were to find out that, like, um, that the camp was letting a gay person around their children, how would the parents feel about that? Yeah. Um, which became a bigger issue, which I'll well, go, I'll mention that in a minute. Yeah, um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so they they pulled me back in the next day and, and he said, okay, so we've thought about it. We talked about it. Um, we're not going to send you home. We're not going to take you off stage. Um, but we don't want you to really talk about this. We don't want this to become a bigger deal than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And in, in the sense of like, I wouldn't want that either. Right. So you're going to do what we say. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, kind of abusive. Uh, um, yeah. And, <laughs> and so they were like, but here's the deal. You're going to do extra Bible studies with your counselor, with my, my direct leader. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, and, and, and I couldn't talk about like even that with, with the Mm -hmm. people in my group, with my peers, I couldn't tell them like what that actual, what that extra Bible study actually was for. Right. It was, if anybody asked me, I was supposed to tell them like, oh, I'm just struggling with some stuff. And I just wanted to talk to my leader about it in more detail, more one-on-one kind of stuff. Um, so we, I, I was supposed to meet up with her for like an extra amount of time every day for the rest of the session. And uh, she would lead me through these extra Bible studies, which kind of went through the the clobber passages that I mentioned last time mm-hmm. too, of like mm-hmm. all the all the verses that that said bad stuff about like man shouldn't lie with man and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had already in in my own coming out process, I, I'd already addressed those for myself, and I already rationalized those for myself that like. I didn't know exactly the the level to which I know it now that like those words mm-hmm. don't actually mean what everybody says that they mean in English. Uh, I didn't I didn't necessarily know that, but I knew that like the way that it was worded just didn't make sense because mm-hmm. like in one of the passages, it uh, it's in the New Testament and it's it's the Apostle Paul talking about like people who aren't going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it goes like on this list of like mm-hmm. thieves, murderers, homosexuals. And like, and I read that and I was like that I'm not, I didn't murder anybody. Like one of I'm these things thief. just doesn't belong here. <laughs> right. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And so because it didn't make sense to me, I just sort of like 
was like, okay, well, that's not, that can't be what that actually means. So I'm just not going to really bother with it much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I tried to explain that to her and she just sort of was like, yeah, well, it's what the Bible says. So, and and like, we, and we, we just couldn't like get on the same page as each other um, about that. And so it wasn't, it definitely wasn't aggressive. And I don't know how she feel she felt about it in the moment. And I don't know how she feels about it now. I haven't mm-hmm. spoken to her since this, like almost 10 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it was actually was very mild conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a very mild form of them telling me that this is wrong, that I need to, that I need to not do this, that I need to yeah. not be this way, that I need, that I need to change. Um, and I, I think that I'm very lucky uh, in the fact that it was so mild because I've heard so many conversion therapy horror stories mm-hmm. of like just the the awful atrocious things that happen to people in conversion therapy. If that was my conversion therapy experience, I'm very lucky mm-hmm. that it only got as like awkward as it did and not as right. like really damaging. Yeah. Um, but the worst part about that was that they didn't tell my parents that this was happening. Mm. My my parents didn't know that I was about to be sent home from camp and that I was getting basically conversion therapy. Yeah. And I was 17 at the time. So they're giving conversion therapy to a minor without parent consent. <laughs> Which I just want is... to hit something that makes me so mad. <laughs> That's that's extremely problematic. Uh, yeah, and kinda. you know, those like there it there's so many levels to that because like their intentions are that they're trying to, you know, help me, but like that's actually really, really dangerous. And the fact yeah. that my parents had no idea, my mom didn't know that any of this was happening until I got home and told her after it had all happened what did she say oh she's she's a a mama bear so she was pissed good (laughs) she could not believe she couldn't believe that they did that she I don't I don't know if she ever because like we were family friends with with you know some of the like the people that were there and so I don't know if she like kind of yelled at them or whatever I don't think she yelled at them but uh she was not happy with any any part of that situation mm-hmm. uh and it, it was my last year so I never went back and and they never sent my sister back to that camp either mm. so uh it was it was a really weird thing for us to go through um yeah but it it wasn't until years later really that I actually was thinking about it and realized that it was conversion therapy mm-hmm. um and I just loved that camp so much. And I I sort of understood, like I knew that, you know, things were gonna get weird if I'm gonna be LGBT and mm-hmm. continue to try to be in these circles. So I knew that it was gonna be weird. I knew that I had to be prepared for that kind of stuff, but I still wanted, I still wanted to go to this camp. I still wanted to be a counselor. Yeah. Like it was my dream. This was the best part of my entire childhood was going to this yeah. camp. Um, and so I applied to be a counselor the next summer. And I just kind of kept getting ghosted a little bit Mm. by the directors and by, again, by the people that have known me since I was a kid that like said that they wanted to have conversations with me about this, said that they wanted to, to have a, a continued relationship, you know, despite all of these things, but they just kept ghosting me. And this was my first experience with getting ghosted by a church. So it was super weird. Um, what and a weird thing so, to be ghosted by a church, period. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, right. Like, like, like that, that phrase that you said, I was like, to be ghosted by church. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And that, that was my first experience being ghosted by a church. Oh, like, no, the fact that this more. happens often, oh, there's more. The fact, the fact that this happens often is counterintuitive to the gospel, but, <laughs> you know, whatever, I guess. It's fine. So so I put in my application and I was waiting to get my phone interview. 
Um, and so the, the head director of the camp called me and, uh, for, for the interview thing. And, you know, if you go through the, every step of the leadership development thing, you're basically guaranteed to become Mm -hmm. a counselor. So like, I, I wasn't worried. I was kind of wondering, you know, like with everything that happened last year, I wonder like what they're going to say to me about this. Mm -hmm. So he calls me and, um, after all of the, like, how are you? How's things kind of conversation? It was like, so without saying these exact words, it was, it was sort of like, so are you still gay? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, uh, he said, well, we really need all of our staff members to be on the same page about these same kinds of issues. And because you refuse to conform with that kind of with with those beliefs we're not going to be able to have you on staff Mm -hmm. and so that was devastating but but more than that is he kept going on and he said that they are a summer camp they make money as an organization by parents sending their kids to camp Mm -hmm. and with all of the he he almost sort of tried to shift the blame off of like the the protestant ishness of it and he was like you know with all the things going on in the catholic church with like priests doing the things that they're doing to the boys there you know a lot of parents are concerned about about gay people and about allowing gay people near their children so if if parent and it, again like would he brought up the parent concern thing and he was like if parents find out that we allow a gay person near their children and allow their per- allow, allow a gay person to lead their children this is a very conservative area you know parents are going to be outraged we're going to face a lot of backlash for this as a business that's not a that's not a good position for us to be in mm-hmm. so his his words were as a business, we can't allow gay people on staff is essentially what I was being told. Yeah. I, 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 for those listening, I'm steaming over here. (laughs) Like, I I hope you can feel the fire, like through the speakers that is coming from my being at this moment. Like, because it makes me so mad that First of all, it always makes me angry when Christians try to use the pedophilia that goes on in other institutions as an as an mm-hmm. equivalent to the actions or the, the just like assuming that that's going to be people in the LGBT community. Like right, assuming assuming that that queer people are pedophiles, those are completely different things. Yeah. Right. There's so that's the first issue. Like that's that's the first issue of it and then the second issue is is saying like openly admitting that this is a business and yeah. we need to make money and you are going to be a detriment to our business mm-hmm. and putting all their chips on the table with that one yeah and uh it's Kitty. that that was the first experience to sort of like actually open my eyes open my mm-hmm. eyes to how difficult this is going to be yeah um yeah. and that happened and when you were so, 17 um so the conversion therapy thing happened when i was 17 uh being told all of that stuff happened when i was 18 got it um and yeah so that was my my first experience uh with that as as an 18 year old it was very formative yeah um, well I guess it, it kind of sets the stage for what you can come to expect. Um, but, but yeah, what a, what a stage to set for a 17 year old, 18 year old person who's about to go into adulthood and go into the world, hoping that ministry is going to be a place that they can belong and serve. Mm-hmm. But having that as your foundation for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that would, that would sort of be like every other time that that happened to me, 
wasn't nearly as traumatic as that moment, but every time mm-hmm. it happened to me, it brought me back to that moment. Mm. So it's, I, I, I don't know how to really describe it, but it's, it's sort of like just this recurring trigger that mm-hmm. just shows it, it, it goes so deep in, yeah. in somebody like when they've been told, when they've been told that at such a young age, and then they keep getting told that and they keep getting pushed out of these places. Like Mm-hmm. I understand why a lot of LGBT people leave the church and leave faith altogether because like if every single place that you want to be involved in and want to be part of and and you have these leaders that you look up to if ever if all of them tell you these things then like it why are people questioning why you know Christianity why people are leaving Christianity mm-hmm. why why people are are rejecting stuff like that. And it's because of all of this like toxicity that people, it's like that Pikachu meme where like (laughs) churches say all these things, all these things, and then people leave the church. And then it's that Pikachu face of like, what? (laughs) 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 Yeah, I love that meme. It's it's very true though. Yeah. Christian people are just kind of sitting there. Like my favorite is the little, like the stuffed lemur thing that has its hands out. Like Oh yeah. I love that one. I love that one. I feel that on a soul level, but, um, but yeah, that's like kind of what I picture whenever Christian people are like, I don't understand. Why do you, why are you leaving? It's just like, yeah. uh, because maybe you're awful. Yeah. Maybe because you're, you are unable to have an empathetic perspective or, <laughs> or refuse to have any sort of conversation that that puts to question the thing you've chosen to believe your entire life. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Have a little big, bit, have a little bit of wiggle room. Um, right. I think that's the, I mean, that is the toxic thing about the church overall as an institution, I think is that they, certain churches pound into your head at a very young age that, you know, like this is the truth and the only truth. Mm-hmm. And, there's no other interpretation. There's no wiggle room. Like there's no accounting for culture, like culture shifts or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's, this is it period. No questions asked. Um, and you just have to, and you can't really question it really much either, or you're going to be like considered a heretic or something like you need. Yeah. Right. You need to believe this and just have faith that it's true and that it'll work Mm -hmm. for you. And yeah. It's and like, that doesn't work for a lot of people. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't at all. Um, it it leads to a lot of, it just leads to a lot of very dangerous, like you said, just very dangerous psychological trauma and mm-hmm. people's inability to connect with other people who are different from them or, um, their inability to critically think about certain yeah. situations. Um, that was and it can sort of breed, time. it can sort of breed xenophobia too, because like, if yeah. you're not allowed to question things that you don't understand, then you're not allowed to try to understand them. Mm-hmm. And so like, and, and I think that's, that's the issue with a lot of conservative Christians who don't, affirm homosexuality or LGBT people, it's because they don't know anything about it and because they've been conditioned to not question it. And so they don't want to learn about it because they just have to accept, you know, what they think is the word to Mm -hmm. be the word and anything outside of that is wrong. So why should you understand? Why should you try to understand something that you believe is wrong? Right. When that's just not the case. Yeah, exactly. And that that's exactly how I was as a young person, um, mm-hmm. in high school and early college, I, that that's where that's like exactly what you just said is exactly where I was at. And then we, and then I went to Baylor theater and got really close really quickly to people who are part of the LGBT community. And that was the first, like, that was the f- first time in a long time or really ever that I had fully experienced the community. And that it's just like, mm-hmm. there's nothing to be scared of. They're just fucking people. Like they're not doing yeah, anything we're just wrong. People. <laughs> they're just living their goddamn lives. Like it's, Yeah. It's not, Most of the time we're just trying to have the exact same life as everybody else. Exactly. And it's just exactly. such a struggle. 
Exactly. It's like, we, we all like the same memes. We all watch the same shows. <laughs> <laughs> we all like tacos. Like there's nothing that needs to be, there's nothing that needs to be like pounded out of anybody or mm-hmm. like no one needs to like love is not something that needs to be like converted out of people. Um, right. And that was, yeah, I, like we said in our last episode, that was a of huge shift for me and my development um, and just understanding how incredibly ignorant I was, how incredibly hateful I was without knowing that I was or coming to like coming fully to terms with the fact that I had been that kind of person that Mm -hmm. said, oh, this is wrong. And I can't really associate with these type of people. And I don't want to learn anything about them because it's wrong. Like, Right. Having, to come, having to come to terms with all that and then make sure I go the complete opposite direction and never be that person again because that's not fair to anybody um yeah but it's it, it hurts me to know that there are still people that do that you know what I mean yeah yeah and I don't I don't know what to say to those people really because I can empathize with them but at the same time I'm like it's so simple just don't be dumb <laughs> right <laughs> but that uh the so when he called me to have like that interview, what yeah. happened, like the sequence of events that led up to that set a framework for me to be able to recognize when other people were doing that to me. So it mm. actually was kind of helpful in a way mm. because there were certain deadlines that um, you like had to have, have your application in, then you would have your phone call within like a week or two or something. Mm-hmm. And then camp starts on a specific day and you have to show up to mm-hmm. like the training, you know? and so when I should have had my phone interview, I never was contacted for it. So I reached out to them and then the training started and I still hadn't had my interview and then camp started and I still hadn't had my interview and he would email me sometimes, but like not, he would kind of like, like skirt around it and be like, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a conversation and, a couple of days or something. I just got to finish up these things. Like he was really like flaky about it and really mm-hmm. like indirect. Um, and so I knew that it was not going to a good place. So I was like, Hey, I know camp has already started, but like, I'm willing to come and like be a volunteer for a couple of weeks. Like if you, if y'all, if y'all will have me, like I wanted it so bad. I wanted to go yeah. so bad. And cause a, a lot of my friends were there too, that like, I never, cause yeah. it was so far away from my hometown. I only got to see these people when I was at camp. And right. so I was missing out on like all these great things. Um, and so finally he called me and had that conversation and I haven't been able to have an actual conversation like that every single time that this happened. A lot of times they would just sort of flake out or, or be really vague or just flat out ghost me and never yeah. tell me why, but I know why. Right. Like a couple of times was like, I tried to be involved in like worship teams uh, at various churches, like in college and I would just get ghosted. Um, I, the most recent thing that happened was um, uh, when I was trying to set up like a little historic micro spot thing up here, I was trying to find a place for us to meet. And uh, there's this really cool coffee shop uh, in, in the town that I'm in. And I, Went, I went there once to check it out and I realized that like it's right next door to this like kind of progressive church. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Like, um, I wonder if they're like connected or whatever. And they were the uh, the pastor's wife like runs the coffee shop or something. Oh, and wow. so I was like, oh, this, this is awesome. Like, this is a really cool connection. And yeah. so uh, we started emailing. I, yeah, we started emailing and um, she asked like kind of about my story a little bit. So I told her um, not everything that like I've mentioned about like getting kicked out and rejected and all that. I I tried to be as vague as I could in order to protect myself Mm. because I had developed that skill over Mm. time. Um, But I still said the word partner, which I forgot is a bad word in the Christian world. And the the moment I said partner, she got super weird and she Mm. ended up ghosting me via email and so I like, but, but it's just weird that I've like developed that skill to notice when people are doing that to me 
Mm. And that's, it's, it's a survival skill that I think a lot of LGBT people have yeah. in, in various ways of like knowing, trying to figure out as quickly as possible, which spaces they're safe to be in. Mm. Mm. Which is really sad that yeah. churches are not those spaces. Right. Like, ugh, yeah, that makes me feel sticky. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's such an interesting, like, what are some of the cues you pick up on? Just like body language and um, kind of the things they, like the responses they give or like, is um, it, just, is it just kind of obvious? It it begins with, they, they become flaky. They start to get flaky. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times when when this would happen, it wouldn't be in person. I've only mm-hmm. had that actual conversation um, maybe maybe three times mm-hmm. with with people, but I've been rejected from maybe about a half dozen places. Mm-hmm. So often it would it would be like through text or through email, they would sort of like start to be flaky mm-hmm. and then they would just ghost me. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it got to the point where we had that conversation, um, one was over the phone with the camp director. Mm-hmm. Um, one was in an office um, at at the church that I went to in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tried to be an intern um, at at uh, the church that I was that also had known me for years. Yeah. Um, and because I tried to like take that extra step in leadership, they have that same kind of policy where like, no, gay people can't be leaders. Mm-hmm. So you're, you can't be a leader. Um, but that also like to get, for me to get to have that, that meeting, even in the first place took weeks of like them being flaky and them not mm-hmm. like trying to have that conversation, but I was pushing for them to do it. Right. Right. Because it, it's so much better to be clear. And to, I would rather a church tell me straight up, we don't like gay oh, people yeah. Or, yeah. or queer people than like have me waste my time and right. anybody else waste their time trying to be involved in this place that ultimately is just going to kick them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is true. Um, yeah, I think that to your point, it's more heartbreaking to think you're in a place and then have them be like, no, nah, mm-hmm. never mind. Like that's, that's yeah, that would exactly. be way more, way more frustrating, I think, than, than just telling you straight up. But, and you were trying to be on the worship team for all of these different places, right? Um, yes, mostly. Um, there was one church, the last church that I worked in before um, moving to Australia, I was the, uh, I was an audio engineer for them. So mm-hmm. I would do like all the sound stuff, yeah. um, like for different services and, and things. Um, and they knew that I was about to move to Australia. Um, they also knew that I was LGBT, um, but they sort of had a policy where like, because I was paid, because I was an employee and because I wasn't really a leader, like mm-hmm. they would hire other people from outside of the church that like weren't religious or anything. They just needed people to like mm-hmm. work for them. Yeah. So it didn't really matter who you were or what you did. Um, yeah. but I still had relationships like with the worship pastors and, and the people on leadership. So I told them like, they knew I was going to go to Hillsong and, and study worship and do all these things. And so I was like, Hey, like, can I transition away from the sound team and like join you guys on stage? And I asked them around like Christmas time and they were like, Oh yeah, well just wait till like after Christmas. Cause we're super busy right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, cool. I get it. Uh, and then we never talked about it ever again. Yeah. And I still had six months before I was supposed to leave. Mm. And so like, I, because I could tell that they were being flaky towards me, I was like, I'm not even going to try because right. I know it's just going to be a waste of time. And I know that it's going to damage the relationships. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's, so I let it, that go. Yeah. It, it's frustrating because, um, I was a part of the worship team as well when I was in church and I find it so interesting that they were so blatantly obvious about like, okay, the people in the back are like, who are doing the things Mm -hmm. that no one really has to like, look at them for, they can do, they can be whatever, do whatever they can get paid and they can go home. But the people who are on stage, 
they have to be have to have a certain image uh-huh they have to be exactly yeah. what we want to portray as as our image and our story and mm-hmm. our um but I can't think of a better word than those two um <laughs> but yeah and that was that was another thing that was really even though I am um when I was on the worship team I was not out as bisexual I am now bisexual which is fantastic and I'm living my life yeah that's awesome um (laughs) it's (laughs) but at the time I was on the worship team it was such a it was it was always so obvious to me that the image was everything it wasn't about it wasn't about us just leading worship it was about us Mm -hmm. looking as cool or as put together or as perfect if you want to like in the christian sense of the word like the typical modest you know hair brushed no tattoos mm-hmm. um no like not even heels like girls wouldn't really wear heels on stage because like heels are kind of scandalous if you do it wrong Ooh. like, like, <laughs> like that kind of thing i mean i was in high school so like not really a huge deal but there were times where i wanted to wear heels and i was like oh i can't people will think i'm a slut if i wear heels on the Oh gosh. Purity culture is so awful. Oh man. It's a time. (laughs) It's a time. It's a great time. But yeah. So it's, yeah, it's it's so, again, just so interesting how obvious the church makes it behind closed, like without the congregation realizing what they're doing to try and Mm -hmm. manipulate their image in that way. They're very particular about who's in the public eye for their congregation and who's not. Mm-hmm. which is super interesting to me. <sighs> Mason? Yes. <laughs> is there anything else what? that you want to, is there anything else you want to add on to, to this conversation? Um, I feel like we've dug pretty deep into some of the toxicity that you've experienced and things like that, but uh, are there any other stories um, of churches that you went to that you feel are pretty prominent to mention? I, well, I mean, I, what I really want to mention about all of this is like, I, I don't really want to sound, I don't want to sound like whiny, I guess, because I'm talking about like churches that have treated me mean, <laughs> but like, I, I, I just want to shed a light on some of the ugly parts that pe- that people don't know about Mm -hmm. and people don't get to see um and and i just want i don't know i want people to to be able to realize that like there's when you're inside of this kind of world there's a lot of things that that happen that are hard to explain and it's sort of like it's sort of a brainwashing experience to where like like I was treated so badly by that camp, but I still loved it so much. Mm. When I was kicked out of Hillsong, I still loved Hillsong so much and I wanted to protect them. And I didn't tell anybody about me getting kicked out for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this, like, you want to, you want to protect these people because like, sometimes these institutions and these pastors and these churches will lift themselves up and elevate them so much, elevate themselves up so much that like you sort of start to confuse the lines of Mm. where the church is and where God is. And so if you go against the church, you feel like you're going against God Mm. and you don't want to do that. You want to obey as much as you, as much as you can. And you want to be good because you, you don't know at which point you're starting to cross that line. Right. And so even, even in these abusive situations, like you don't know when you should speak out and you don't know when you should tell your story. And, and a lot of the times you don't know how awful and how damaging these experiences are because there's part of you that wants to protect that institution still. Yeah. And there's, um, there's this lady on Instagram that I, that I found out about recently. Um, let me look up her username because she's just fantastic. Okay. Um, she, she is involved with, um, do better church. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. They're, um, 
they people send them stories um about kind of about like what we've been talking about like about how churches treat people badly mm. um mm-hmm. and so they post stuff like that and so one of the people that works for them uh her instagram is joe lumen i think um it's spelled kind of weird but she uh yeah yeah she is she's a firecracker she is not afraid to say anything i'm looking at her page right now and i already love her vibe oh she she is she's she's a fighter she's so cool um that's awesome but like i i think i think i heard this concept from her in one of her posts recently where it's like you are so brainwashed by these institutions that like, even when they treat you badly, you still want to protect them. Mm-hmm. And it's just so messed up because at what point do you say, no, this is wrong. This isn't how these things should be. This isn't how people should be treated. And it can't be, it can't be a thing of like, God is saying that this stuff is okay because any human would be able to say that this is not. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is, to your point, it's such a, when you're in the very beginning stages of that kind of deconstruction of figuring out (laughs) where that, where God starts and the church ends and, and unsure of when to protect the institution and when to not, it's so, (laughs) it's so hard when you're just at the beginning of it, because to your point, you've been indoctrinated for so long that this, this place or this group, this organization is, is a good place. This is where God wants us to be. Like, this is supposed to be the mm-hmm. house of God. And, and even if, you know, even if they this do, is the, this is the true doctrine or whatever. Right. Exactly. And even if they, you know, the people aren't perfect, so they can, you know, they make mistakes and you try to, you start doing all these justifications, even though you can clearly see that those actions, no matter what the intention behind it was, whether it was good or, or bad, you see the consequences of their actions. You can mm-hmm. clearly see them hurting those around you or the people you love and, or hurting yourself. And mm-hmm. it's the start of that process is the hardest. Cause you, to your point, you just have no clue which way to go. You, and you feel like mm-hmm. you're, you feel like you're going to go to hell for doing this deconstruction <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. because that it's just like, well, I'm questioning everything about my religion now, which means I don't believe in God, which means I'm going to hell. Is that the natural progression of things? Like, yeah. It's, and it's like, if you, if you don't want to, like, if you still believe, you know, in God and hell and all of that, then you're like, well, now it's either now it's an issue of life or death because right. either either I'm going to leave the church and and you know go to hell and that's awful or I'm going to stay in church and be living through hell and that's equally as awful. <laughs> right? It's it's a it's a very and so like I like I I get why people leave the church and like yeah. why people realize through their deconstruction that they don't believe in a god or in a religion or anything. Like it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very easy to be angry at everything about a religion and not just the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I was there for a long time. I definitely was. I, I kind of left religion as a whole behind for a while because I, I didn't know fully how to process everything that I was going through and everything that I was thinking. I just was like, mm-hmm. If this is what, like, if the the toxicity and the brainwashing and the purity culture and um, the shaming of homosexuality and all of these things are what God really says, then I don't want any part of it. And I, I didn't really sit down at that point in my life to do the work of figuring out what, to your point, where God started and the church ended. Um, mm-hmm. So it's. But yeah, I understand too. When people tell me, no, I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with a religion of any kind. And I, I've thought that through and that's where I am. I'm like, okay, great. If you're happy, then be happy. I don't want you to be a part of something that's going to cause you anxiety or, um, mm-hmm. or make you feel like you're not welcome. Cause that's not fair to anybody, including obviously the person who's going through that stuff. So yeah, <sighs> Mason, 
another incredible conversation. <laughs> yes. This has been so good. So good. Um, so, so good. I am so grateful for you and your story and your openness to, to talk about these things and to not really hide behind them. It's, um, I say this, uh, I said this at the end of our last conversation, but I really do think that there are a lot of people listening to this um, who are very, who are LGBT and are living their life or might still be um, unsure if they want to live openly with that because of their religion or anything like that. Like hearing these conversations will help them know they're not alone. Um, if they're oh yeah. I wish I, that. I wish I had a, I wish I had a resource like this when I was going through all of these things, because I always felt so alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's one of the reasons I'm excited to help you create this is because like, (laughs) people need to know that they're not alone. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful for you. Um, And I, I'm so happy that you have a better platform now um, with historic church to Mm -hmm. start building a better, a better organized church for. Yeah. um, And, and for for anybody who, for anybody who still wants to believe in religion for any kind of religion, not even Christianity, mm-hmm. but for anything, there there are affirming spaces that are progressive and that will accept you. And it can be hard to find them sometimes, but they do exist. And so leaving a religion just because you've been taught your whole life that certain things are wrong isn't the only option. If mm-hmm. if you become convinced that there is no God or anything like that, you know, that's part of your story. But if you just, if you just keep coming back to it and you keep, you can't ignore your, your faith, there are places that will accept you and affirm you. And it just takes a little bit of effort to find them. For sure. For sure. You just got to keep trucking, keep searching and the place Mm -hmm. where you will come. Yeah. Mason, thank you so much again for coming on here. I'm going to link for everyone in the show notes. I'm going to link Mason's uh, Instagram down below. So if you want to follow him, um, I'm also going to put a link to Historic Church in Dallas, which is the church that uh, Mason works with. So if you want to learn more about them and their mission, you can link that down below. And then also the Instagram that Mason mentioned um, for um, Joe Lumen. I'm going to link that below too, if you guys want to check her out. Mason, I appreciate you very much. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you.